Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode, I speak with Rebecca Washuda, who is my sister and also a licensed dietitian nutritionist and a certified nutrition specialist with degrees in neuroscience and nutrition. We talk about everything to do with nutrition and clients and habits, but really we centrally focus the beginning of part of the conversation around three major questions that clients will ask us all the time that may be difficult to respond to. We need to have two different ways to respond to these questions. One, from the layman's perspective, how do we maybe reframe the question so that, it's the, so that they're getting the important part of that question, like, is fruit bad for me? And then to the scientific side, because if clients do know a little bit more than the average person, than the average person in the general population, how do we talk about the science and explain that we are the experts and this is why we're going down this specific path because of the evidence-based side of the nutrition and or fitness. So it was a great conversation. I'm also going to have Rebecca back on to speak about habits down the road. You can find everything about her and her programs at happyhealthynutritionist.com. Also, happyhealthynutritionist on Instagram. With no further ado, here's Rebecca and I. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast for a second time. Uh, just for those who didn't hear on the first round, why don't you give everyone a brief background on who you are and what it is you do in the health and nutrition industry? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, so I'm a licensed dietitian and a health coach, and I have my own private practice, and I specialize in weight loss and habit formation. Awesome. And we are going to talk about habit formation in another podcast coming down the road. And we'll do a teaser to that at the end. But today, I'm going to ask you three questions, questions that I asked to two of my last three guests, actually, who all, who are also in the nutrition realm. And it's just interesting to hear how different people answer these questions. And in one of the episodes, I called it five frustrating client questions, because us as personal trainers, and I'm sure you too, will get the same questions over and over. And it's not good to sort of roll our eyes or poo-poo those questions, right? We need to explain to our clients, like, you have the green light to ask whatever question you want. There are, there are no dumb questions, but at the same time, there are questions that are asked all the time. And sometimes also, and this is this leads into my first question right here, although we know the answer is so simple, it's hard to explain it. So the first question is here, and I'm sure you get it all the time because we do, is fruit bad for me? How do you respond, not to me, someone who may know the science, but to the general population? Yeah. So short answer is no. I, I never want to deter people from eating fruit. Um, as as trainers and you know, as a dietitian, we're very often working with people who want to lose weight. So if you're speaking to someone who wants to lose weight, we want to tell them to avoid tropical fruits. So things like pineapple, mangoes, bananas, because they're higher in sugar than other fruit. Um, and prioritize fruit like berries, right? Because that's lower in sugar and higher in fiber. Um, the other important thing about berries is they have uh, really powerful phytonutrients. So, you know, I, I like to get people excited about eating real food as opposed to just like looking at processed foods and focusing on the macronutrients. So um, berries have different phytonutrients. Um, one is called uh, anthocyanin, and that can actually help um improve insulin sensitivity. So that's really great. And then they also have a compound called still beans and that can prevent adipogenesis. So it actually prevents our body from forming new fat cells. So really important that we, we don't want to be scared of fruit. Um, they have a ton of compounds in it that can help us. It's just 
the types of fruit that we want to focus on. The other thing that I think is really important is um, I tell all my clients, no lonely fruit. So we don't want to eat fruit by itself. Mm. We don't want to eat fruit on an empty stomach. We always want to pair it with fat or protein. Um, and this is for a few reasons. One is because the protein and fat will actually slow the absorption of the carbs. And so that's going to prevent a huge um, spike in your in your blood sugar. And so um, what it's going to do is your blood sugar is going to sort of level off and then you're not going to feel uh, tired and hangry, you know, an hour and a half later. The other thing is that um, protein and fat will help you feel fuller sooner and will help you will help you stay satiated longer. Mm. So you're not, you know, going back to the kitchen an hour later. Um, fiber too, from the, uh, from, you know, whatever you're mixing your fruit with, the fiber actually will line uh, your gut a little bit. And so you're not absorbing everything you would be, say, if you were eating a banana on an empty stomach. So um, that's what's really important. I, I would say it's not it's not as fruit bad for me. It's what type of fruit to focus on if you're trying to lose weight. And then it's what you want to pair your fruit with. So you can still, you know, I love bananas. You can still eat bananas, but just make sure you're having that with a nut butter, with Greek yogurt, with chia pudding, with something that's going to slow the absorption and also um, help you feel more full. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's a great scientific answer. And um, I was always under the impression, and maybe this is a little bit wrong, that also fruits ran in sort of a a relation to price for how good they are. So like the more mm. expensive the fruit is, the better it is for you. But I guess not because pineapple is expensive and it's maybe not as good for you. But I know like if you, in a general concept, that seems to make sense, right? So like bananas and grapes, really cheap, higher in sugar. Yeah. Something like uh, at least organic strawberries and blueberries, more expensive, very good for you. For sure. Yeah. I just paid, you know, $6.99 for a, a, a thing that's this big of blueberries, right? That'll last me a couple of days and bananas are maybe 15 cents a banana. So that's, yeah, that's an interesting um, correlation. And it's unfortunate, right? Because we obviously want to be um, eating that, those really nutrient dense foods. The, the other interesting thing is, you know, when you're thinking about berries, it's sort of like small foods have a lot of bang for their buck, right? Because it's a lot of phytonutrients packaged into a small package. So as opposed to a banana that's big, a blueberry, um, you know, or a, even even grapes um, have, have phytonutrients, but something that's small um, tends to have, you know, and, and is deeper in color as a, you know, a, like a, a very rich blueberry, as opposed to like a pale banana, um, it's going to have, you know, more, more benefits for you. You know, clients are asking these questions a lot of times because they want permission. They're not asking because they want the science, although it's good to give them the science. But really, uh, I had a funny conversation with uh, Dr. Mark Morris about this, wherein if they say, hey, what do you think about this supplement? That means they're three weeks into the supplement already. They're, right? they're already taking yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean they actually want your, your advice. They just, they want you to tell them that it's okay. So I think that's also something to keep in mind for both personal trainers and you know, nutrition professionals. When the client asks, Hey, you know, what do you think about fruit or what do you think about bananas? Be careful about saying like, absolutely do not do this because chan the chances are they already are doing it and you don't want to yeah. like yell at them, so to speak. Yeah, they're already doing it. And then you also don't want to have people group food. You know, I think we like to take a very myopic approach where it's black and white, it's good or bad. Right. And we don't want to say fruit is bad. We don't want to say bananas or pineapples are bad. I think they're great. You just need to know what to pair them with and, and when to have it. And so I think it's important as um, you know, people in the health industry to teach our clients how food's going to affect our body so that they can then decide when they want to eat it. So pineapple's great, but if you have it for breakfast, 
by 10 o'clock, you may be feeling tired and, and you may be hungry again. So maybe you have pineapple in the afternoon, right? If you're going to have it alone. So it's like, once you know the rules, you can kind of break them. But, you know, even with same thing with donuts, right? I love, I love a good donut. Um, but I know how the donut's going to affect me. And so I know the appropriate time to eat it. And, you know, we we all do this sort of instinctually, anyone who um, anyone who drinks alcohol and, you know, doesn't have a problem with it. I love a glass of champagne, but I also know how it's going to make me feel, right? So like, I'm not going to have a glass of champagne on a Monday morning when I have a busy day and I have a lot of things to do because later that morning, I'm going to feel tired. I'm going to have a headache. You know, I'm going to be hungry. And that's not how I want to feel, right? I want to feel full and focused. But on a Friday night, glass of champagne is great, right? So it's it's just about, so the same thing with donuts, right? A donut will spike your blood sugar. Um, your pancreas will release insulin. One, that's going to you know cause your body to store fat, but it's how are you going to feel? You're going to feel crappy after you eat a donut, right? So it's like, for sure, when you, uh, on the weekend or you know when you determine it's the right time for you, 100%, but like, let's think about our days and how we want to feel and how food is going to make us feel. Um, so like the timing of food, as opposed to saying, this is a good food, this is a bad food. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's great advice. And I think that's something that's missing a lot because people don't think about how they feel. Uh, I mean, they'll report it instantly there and then, but they're not thinking about that prior to eating. They're not tying right? it, so, right. So, those the, the, so they might be like, okay, I had two slices of pizza. I was so full. I just sat on the couch. I watched three episodes of Netflix. I went to sleep. I can't believe I ate those three slices of pizza. But then the next morning before they eat breakfast, they're not thinking, okay, how am I going to feel after I eat this food? They're just you know, looking in the refrigerator, seeing what's available. Maybe they're looking at the caloric content. Maybe they're looking if they know enough. And they're working with a nutrition professional about the phytonutrients and all these other things, but they're not actually saying, am I going to feel okay? And I think that's where we as also health health professionals in the fitness world have an advantage because we get to say to our clients like, hey, you need to be at 100% when you come into the gym. Yeah. So, you know, when regardless of what you're eating, you better, you better think about an hour, two hours, three hours in advance. How are you going to feel when you come to me? Because I don't, I don't want you lagging. I don't want you eating that donut or not eating at all or something, right? So we, you have to be at optimal levels when you get to the gym. And I think that's a good way to, for us to sort of talk nutrition with our clients. Yeah, because it's we're not supposed to give specifics. Sure, but yeah, it's that sort of positive pressure that you can put on them. Um, and then it's getting getting them to be more mindful. Really, that, that's the goal. We want, you want people to be more mindful about moving their body. Um, and, you know, dietitians want people to be just more mindful about what they eat. And I think you're right that, eating is sort of like has taken a backseat, right? It's like, I'll grab a protein bar on the way out the door. No one's really sitting down or thinking, uh, preparing their meals or their snacks anymore. And so once you can become more mindful, it really makes a difference. One last point here about uh, why the clients are asking the question. I'm gonna give a little anecdote of myself and then we'll move on to the next question and why it's important to allow them to ask any questions and maybe be really sort of gentle with follow-up questions before you just go into like a diatribe on something. Because so I had somebody who was asking me about battle ropes. They're like, so what do you think about battle ropes? And this person was a friend and he was going on. I said, well, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of limited. So, you know, as far as you know, what you can do, uh, you know, it's, it's really good for like forearm strength. You can do a lot of things that are sort of like slam related, get your heart rate up. And then you could pair those with leg related movements. So as you're using a battle rope and moving it back and forth, I can go into a lunge. I can go into a squat. There's a few things you can do, but really ultimately it's very limited. And he was like, oh, well, I bought you one for your birthday. 
So like, so like, I, so I'm under the impression that he's yeah, asking yeah, yeah. me from like this fitness standpoint about about how useful this item is. Sure. And meanwhile, you know, <laughs> meanwhile now I'm I'm the ass because this guy just bought me a present and I'm just I'm telling him how limited this item is. Right. So, so you never know. You think you know it's on the other side of that question, but you you don't. But know. you don't know. So they can they can be saying it because maybe their you know maybe their aunt just gave them. 12 pineapples and they don't make a lot of money. And now they have right. all this pineapple and they're excited that they have a fruit to eat. And they're For on sure. their first journey of losing all this weight. And you're, and then, you know, the nutrition professional explains right away, not you, I'm saying somebody who's, who yeah. doesn't know better. And they go, well, what do you think about this fruit? And they go, ah, that's fruit's horrible. Don't eat that. Why would you ever eat that? And they go, well, I just got 12 of them from my aunt and I don't have a lot of money. So this was the fruit I was going to eat for the week. Right. So we For have sure. To like, yeah. Really be mindful of, of like being gentle with the responses because we don't know what's on the other side of that question. Like yeah. This. You know, and it's, it's meeting the client where they're at. And I, I know you guys do this a lot. It's not like there's one exercise routine for everybody, right? You it has to be personalized and for the, with nutrition, it has to be personalized too. So like, if you love pineapple, I want you to eat pineapple. Let's just get you to pair it with nut butter or Greek yogurt or whatever. So yeah, I think it's, you know, anyone who, preaches one diet for everyone does not have your best interest in mind. Like unless someone knows your preferences, your lifestyle, your genetics, your microbiome, right? Your stress level, everything going on in your life, they can't really prescribe you a diet. No, because um, adherence is the number one reason why people stick to a diet. Exactly. Same thing with a workout it. routine. Like you're yeah. not just, I'm not going to walk up to you and you're going to, you know, put me in a, uh, you know, insanity by Shanti, like you're going to talk to me. What do I like to do? Do I have any injuries? And so I think it has to be very similar with, with nutrition, right? We want to incorporate their preferences and they're like, so what's worked for them in the past? If I've done yoga and I hate yoga and you try to get me to do yoga, well, now it, there's already tension between us, you know? So yeah, it was really meeting the client where they're at, I think. So let's move to the second question here. The obviously keto diet has been big over the course of the years. And then people try to, you know, they get a little bit of information and they cling to something, whatever that is. And of the last three, four five years, it's been carbs, right? Carbs have had this huge kind of negative effect tied to it. And people are either cutting them out or they're more concerned with them than they should be at all times. And they're bringing it up. Even in casual conversation, Becca, I'll be sitting down with people who know nothing about anything. And they're not even on like a weight loss journey but they're ordering food at the restaurant. They're like, that has too many carbs, right? I mean, yeah. it's, like, they, they just, it's like, it's like, in, yeah. it's like in vogue to say yeah. it now, right? Like, oh, if I care For about sure. my health, I have to care about this. What do you say to clients to say, do I need to cut out all carbs or I'm starting to cut out all carbs? What do you, how do you talk the clients through that process and maybe other things they should know around that? Well, um, you know, I think if you're trying to lose weight, it's good to be mindful about your carb intake, right? So it's, we, we do want to focus on complex carbs and get away from simple carbs, However, you know, I think I try to say it's less about cutting out and more about what we want to add in. So naturally, if you add more protein to your diet, and what I found is, especially women aren't are needing enough protein. If you increase your protein at meals and snacks, you're going to naturally eat less carbs. Um, but, you know, what I will say for keto is some people lose weight on keto and they do very well. Um, at the same time, some people lose weight on a low fat vegan diet and they do very well. Right. So again, it's about your preferences, your lifestyle, all of that. 
But um, for women, keto keto is tricky, right? So uh, they've done studies where they found that keto um, really impacts a woman's hormones. So it can increase cortisol, which in the long run um, increases inflammation and can add to weight gain. Um, and then it also will drop your estrogen. So for women in their 30s who are, you know, maybe trying to have children, this can be this can be you know actually dangerous and can impact your your fertility. So. Um, you know, if someone is is set on a keto diet, I think it, it's it's good to question why. You know, do they think that's the only way? Do they, um, you know, do they hear it on a podcast? Uh, you know, why are they afraid of carbs? Why do they want to cut back on carbs? And is the idea that they that they just want to lose weight? Well, you know, let's talk about what else we can do. Um, you know, what I what I do tell my clients is it's more important about what you can stick with long term. Mm -hmm. So. A lot of people can't stick with keto long term. It's hard, and I know there are more. It's it's probably easier now than it was even ten years ago, but uh, it's hard to do, right? I think it impacts your social life. It it's going to impact your family. It's um, so that's tough. So what I do tell my clients to focus on is instead of cutting back on carbs, what's important is the order in which you eat your meals, right? So like, let's take lunch or dinner for example. The types of meals that have maybe different courses. What you want to do is you want to eat your carbs last. So you want to have um, fiber and phytonutrients first, so like a side salad. Then you want to have protein and fat, and then you want to have carbs. Um, and this goes back to what we talked about before, that one, the fiber um, and the fat and the protein will fill you up. The fiber also sort of lines your intestines, so you're not absorbing quite as much. And then if you're having the carbs last, you're not going to absorb them quickly. So it's going to slow the absorption, and then your glucose spike and your insulin spike are going to be more manageable, um, which, you know, prevents weight gain and prevents you feeling hangry an hour or so later. So um, I think that's that's actually more important is the order you eat your food rather than cutting it out altogether. Yeah, I love the order that you said. I also love the subtraction by addition, where wherein you add enough good stuff, then you're not yeah. going to want the bad stuff in general. Right. That, work, that works in a lot of different ways. And I've heard other people set up for other good nutrition professionals. And then lastly, you know, just asking the client, I assume saying like, if, if I were to compare this to the fitness world, do you like X thing, right? If they're like, Hey, I really want to, uh, this is my goal. I want to put on 10 pounds of muscle. Do I need to cut out cardio? It's like, well, do you like cardio? Right. Because I don't want to cut it out. If you like it, if you hate yeah. it, we'll find a way to, you know, so it's like, do you, do you like eating like certain, certain carbohydrates? Yeah. Well, then we're going to find a way for you to have them. Like I'm not, I'm not yeah. because then we're not going to adhere to it and it's not going to work. So it's, you know, these, these sort of simplistic questions of, of course, it's in some respects to get to anywhere in life, to get to any goal, there has to be something that you're giving up a little bit. Right. But, sure. but ultimately like if you can't give it up for good, what is, what is the point? You're not, you're not even staying in ketosis in the first place. Right. You can't sustain it. There's, there's no point for sure. Well, Let's hop to the next question here. Well, this hold on. There was there was actually one more thing I wanted before. to say here. So yeah. I think um, what's also important here is the time of day you're eating your carbs. Mm -hmm. And so this also has to be very, very personalized. So for most of us, you know, we're getting up in the morning, we're getting ready, we're sitting down at our computer for four hours, right? Till lunch, and then we maybe get up again. And I think for you, you're you're different, right? You're getting up, you're with the baby. I think you walk her to daycare, right? You're coming home, you're training people, you're moving all morning. So for someone like you, if you wanted to have a bowl of oatmeal in the morning, no problem, because you are moving so much, it's not going to affect your blood sugar because that glucose is going to be utilized by your muscle cells. Uh, but for people who are just sitting at their desks all day, you don't want to have a high carb breakfast. And that's because you're 
again, your blood sugar is going to spike, your insulin is going to spike. And then by 1030, you're feeling hungry again and you're tired. And, um, and so then you're sort of on this like blood sugar, uh, insulin roller coaster. I'll just all drink, day. I'll just drink three Red Bulls then. That's what they that's exactly. What yeah, no, no problem. We, we could have a conversation it. around that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, so people are sort of on this uh, when they when you when you start the day with high carb and then you are just sitting all day, you're on this roller coaster and insulin. You know, obviously a very important hormone, but uh, it's sort of like miracle grow for fat cells. So if you're constantly eating and you are constantly um, spiking your insulin, that's going to cause you to gain weight and you're going to eat more over time. So ideally, you know, like we talked about that addition of adding in more protein. So you feel full. If you're eating a proper meal, you shouldn't feel hungry for four hours. I would even say four to five hours. Like if you're eating enough at each meal and um, I tell clients, we really want to focus on meals because snacks are where processed foods come in, right? Like for the most part, people are eating healthy lunches, healthy dinners. It's those snacks in between, right? Where I grab a bar or a bag of chips or this. So if we can limit snacks and we can really focus on those meals, um, that's important. And so for people who are sitting most of the day, and this sounds counterintuitive, um, you should eat your carbs at night because then your insulin is really only spiking once. Um, so if you can have, you know, more like a, a salad for breakfast and you want to have a bowl of pasta, you can have it, you can have it at night. The other thing you can do on the flip side is, uh, after you eat a high carb meal is go for a walk or exercise, like within 30 to 60 minutes after you eat, because again, that's going to help, um, reduce the blood sugar spike and the insulin spike. Okay. So the third question that is a frustrating, frequent client asked question. I'm sure this happens to you all the time. You already kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier on in the uh, f- one of the first answers you gave. But a question we get all the time is, do I need to cut out alcohol? What What is going on exactly in my body with this alcohol? If my goal is weight loss or muscle building or whatever it is, should I cut out alcohol altogether? What exactly should I do? How do you respond to clients? And, and then anything else you want to sort of add in here concerning alcohol and, and health and working with clients? Yeah. So again, you know, as we talked about in the previous two questions, you want to be gentle because if you say, absolutely, you have to cut everything out, you're going to turn people away. And so, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress. So, so baby steps. Um, in general, it's good to cut back, you know, so you, you, you can start by saying that. Um, and, you know, f- for people, I, I like to educate them, right? So your liver is uh, really the primary organ um, of your of your metabolic system. And I think some people think, oh, it's the stomach or it's the intestines, but really it's your liver because this is where um, a lot of the like detoxification is taking place. It's where um, glucose is created right through gluconeogenesis. It's where proteins, carbs, and fats are broken down and where we get energy. So your liver is really important. Um, and if your liver is taxed through alcohol, your metabolism isn't going to be working optimally. Um, the other thing that can happen when we drink too much alcohol is it can reduce our nutrient absorption. So it's going to reduce our absorption of vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin D, vitamin E. It's also going to increase um, our urinary excretion. So like what we pee out of magnesium and zinc and some other minerals. Uh, And this can be bad for a number of reasons, but when we are 
when we are malnourished, right? So you you can be overweight and be malnourished, right? You can you can have extra fat on your body, but maybe not have the right nutrients you need. Um, so when you're not getting the right nutrients you need, you're still going to be hungry, and that's why people who are you know can be very obese and, and still be very hungry because you're missing nutrients, right? And your body is saying we need to eat more to, to get those nutrients in. Um, the other thing is those vitamins and minerals are essential in in the fat burning processes, right? Like our cells utilize those to burn fat and give us energy. So, so it's important that we have those. Um, next, I like to talk people through the, just the behavioral neuroscience, right. Of, of drinking. We all know we've all gotten drunk and had that late night pizza, right? So you're, you're not making great decisions because when you're when you're thinking, you're not thinking of a long-term goal, right. You're thinking about short-term in the moment. What, what do I need now? Um, the other thing that alcohol does is it impacts your sleep, right? So even though you may fall asleep more quickly, it's impacting the quality of your sleep. And studies have shown that um, poor sleep leads to overeating the next day, right? Because we're feeling tired. Everyone knows the day when you're hungover, right? You want to eat more and you're craving um, high carb foods because you're low on energy and your body needs something quick to give it a boost. Um Lack of sleep can also increase cortisol, which we talked about before, can lead to weight gain. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a number of, of reasons why this can move you further from your goal. Um, that being said, you know, for, for some people, depending upon their lifestyle, they're not going to give up alcohol altogether. Um, I do, I will say this though, just from a, a personal perspective, if you've never if, if as an adult, you've never taken a long-term break from alcohol, I think that it's going to try, right? So I was forced to, because I was pregnant. Um, otherwise I, I'm not sure that I would have, but I, I was forced to do it for nine months. And, and then coming back afterwards, I think it gave me, um, a, a different relationship, right? I, I was more mindful about when I wanted to drink and, and, you know, where drinking had sometimes just become a habit, right? So, oh, it's Friday night. And, uh, my husband and I are watching a movie, um, but I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine. Like, do you need a glass of wine to watch a movie? No, but it's Friday. And that's just what I do on Fridays, right? So like people have these habits that they're not even aware of. Um, so, you know, I've seen it in my clients too. Clients who do the sober October or a dry January, they come back a little bit more mindful about alcohol. And I think that's um, I think that's an important perspective to have as, as, a, as an adult. Yeah, that's great science you gave in the front end of the answer. And then in the back end, a great sort of psychology component to that. And I, you know, just to add to that, piggyback off some of the things you said and then add some other things. I think it's it's certainly goal dependent when we talk about what's going on with alcohol. So when someone has a really short term goal, I'm upfront with them and saying like, okay, mm. if I'm training for you for a wedding and your right. goal, your goal is to lose eight pounds before your wedding, which is in five weeks, and you want to get in good shape, guess what? Yeah. Alcohol if you're drinking on a regular basis, it's really going to hinder our this this short-term effect here, right? Yeah. So I'm going to do everything I can to tell you to not drink and to not make bad decisions because we have a short-term goal here. As opposed to if I'm working with someone who goes, hey, I just want overall health and wellness. I want to work out here and there. I want to shed pounds slowly. I want to just become healthier, more mindful of my body. Then yeah. that's a different conversation around alcohol. Maybe Maybe we have the conversation like you just said, we're going to we're going to look at the sort of a, the larger scale of how much alcohol you take in and maybe we can fiddle with you know drinking two days a week instead of uh you know four days a week or something but but it doesn't need to be something we're focused on like hypersensitive about right away because right. you don't you don't have this short-term goal of meeting this because we have to be honest with our clients and saying if you know if you do have a short-term goal 
everything matters. And For sure. could, could, yeah. could I get you there? Could I get you to that eight pound weight loss and that more toned look? Sure. But it's going to be much easier if you cut out the alcohol because yeah. of the things like you said, okay, your sleep is affected. Then when you wake up in the morning, you're tired. And what happens when you're tired? Your body thinks you're hungry. So now yeah. you're really, now you're really hungry. So now you're eating everything because you think you think you're tired or your body thinks you're tired, but you're, you know, you're hungry, yeah, yeah, you're actually just tired. Sure. And there's, there's so many of these like snowball effects that come running down from it. Not to mention that you're less likely to then go work out. I think good habits build on each other. So like you go work out and you come home you're like, well, I don't want to eat something bad. I just worked out. Right. For it's sure. Yeah. I, you and know, then- it's actually, there's a psychological theory. It's called the domino effect. Um, I did a blog post on this recently. And it's the idea that when you make a change to one behavior, it's going to activate a, you know, a chain reaction to other behaviors. And, mm-hmm. and so this works on the flip side too, right? We've all gotten up on the wrong side of the bed, stubbed our toe, got shampoo in our eyes in the shower, right? Then you're running late for work and your boss yells at you, you know, it goes downhill. On the flip side, if you if you get up early and you work out and you have a good breakfast and you get to work and you take the stairs, so so one good decision really does lead to another. Um, and we can, I'd love to get into that more on, on the next podcast when we talk about habits. It's because your brain um, is hardwired to repeat behaviors that make us feel good. So when you, when you make a behavior that makes you feel good, you're going to want to keep doing that. Um, and so, like you said, it's just, you know, one night of excess of drinking when I'm sure you, you've seen it with your clients too. It's like people can stay on track all week and then the weekend, everything goes out the window because then they, you know, they drink and they continue to make bad decisions. Yeah. And alcohol is such a different beast than other bad decisions because of all those other things that are sort of like, that could come down the road spiraling bad decision making meaning like if my client decides to walk to dairy queen and have like a you know whatever a banana float and have like this big ice cream thing like it's not that big of a deal like okay maybe if they're in a you know if they're in now a, a caloric not in a caloric deficit right they're in a caloric surplus and their goal is to lose weight whatever it's one time it's not a big deal you should yeah. you should never like you don't want to think of food that way where like yeah. you're like shaming yourself right that's a that's a different conversation but we both agree on that but with the alcohol, it's that decision doesn't end there. Not only does it affect the sleep, but you wake up cranky yeah. and then you make bad decisions and then your liver's affected. And there's so many of these other things that are like intermixed. So I, you know, I, I had struggled with a lot of clients who just weren't meeting their goals and they were heavy drinkers. And it was a hard mm. conversation to have because they yeah. were, they were drinking like four highballs of whiskey at night and then coming to me at eight in the morning and be like, I can't lose. <laughs> I'm impressed. They were there at eight in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause they were just, they were like legitimate alcoholics. Sure. You know? so it's yeah, like, yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle and it's a conversation that's above my pay grade to talk about like the psychology behind why they might need help. But mm. what I can explain from our perspective and from what you just explained is, Hey, this is really going to hinder, if not completely impede our, our short-term goals at least. And until, until this is kind of like, you know, tied up a little bit and you've cleaned, you've cleaned this part of your life up, you know, you can, you could still come to me and we can, we can work on getting you healthier, but, but our goals are going to be slowed down extremely so that you don't feel as the trainer or as the nutrition professional that, that it's your fault. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, um, meet the clients where they are, right? You're not, I'm sure this, this guy who was drinking four highballs of whiskey is not going to come to you and be, be like, I gave it up, whatever. Right. So, and yes, it is, yeah. it is outside of our pay grade to help them if, if you think they have a problem, but I think you can make recommendations, right? So generally speaking, uh, the best time to drink alcohol is like at happy hour. 
So, and for a couple of reasons, because your body will have um, a chance to detoxify and actually process the alcohol before you go to bed. So it won't affect your sleep as much. Mm. The thing is, we do want to eat and according to our circadian rhythms. So once the sun goes down, it's really, you really don't want to be eating or drinking. Um, And so it's every every cell in our body is set to that clock, even our liver cells. So we're going to be able to detoxify more optimally at that time. So, um, and then, you know, it's also good to, to drink with food. So I do try to, you know, give clients um, that advice uh, because it at least limits those rippling effects like you talked about. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, in general, are there, are there better drinks to have than others? Well, sure. Like if the option is a tequila on the rocks or a super sugary margarita, we know what we're going to go with, but I think it is, it's less about calories when it comes to gin versus tequila. Right. Um, uh, but generally speaking, if you, for health and weight loss purposes, if you are going to drink, we want to focus on clear alcohol, right. Just mixed with soda or on the rocks or a dry wine or champagne. Yeah, that's great science. And I think, you know, lastly here to hit on another like psychological component here, it's good to reframe and talk about goals and expectations with the clients at all times and be honest with ourselves and with the clients. So if somebody comes to me and says, I only have three days to train and someone comes to me and says, I have seven days to train and they both have the same goal. It's a lie for me to tell the client who's training three days that they can get there in the same time, the client who's training seven days. Right. So like, we just, we have to be honest that, you know, if these are the things you're willing to do, these are the things you're willing to give up. Well, okay, well, this is this is when we can get you to your goal. It's not it's not all even, right? So, like, yeah, because like, people come in, they say this all the time. It's like, oh, my friend did this diet, they did this, they did this. It's like, okay, did your friend also tell you all of the other things they did? Exactly. Because, yeah. because you because to get there, you're gonna have to sacrifice a lot of these things. And if if alcohol is something you're not willing to give up, that's fine. But then we have to reframe your goals here because they might be, you know, so- somewhat hindered, at least from a time perspective, if you're not willing to make sacrifices, whatever that is, whether that's maybe someone says, hey, I am not willing to give up eating this particular breakfast. That is a 500 calorie breakfast filled with carbohydrates. I'll do anything yeah. else. Okay, fine. We'll Let's work around work. that. But yeah. but but this this four week goal of yours is not possible. We got to push it to six and eight. For sure. Yeah. I think, you know, as health professionals, we do have to be get more comfortable having those difficult conversations, right? And really yeah. managing clients' expectations because that's what creates, that's what helps our clients be successful. That's what helps create good relationships. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's really important. So uh, you hinted on it a little bit, but we are going to have a podcast coming up down the road here talking about healthy habits. I know that's something that you've really been working on lately with your clients and sort of writing about and discovering. So let's just dive into it a little bit here. We'll give a teaser what about healthy habits is more science-based and not simply motivation? Because typically what we hear is sort of the David Goggins, get your ass out of bed, start running miles. You're going to be fine. You'll build these healthy habits. Is that not the case? No. And and I think that's, you know, a big misconception is people come to me and they think like, I can't do it. You know, I've tried. It doesn't work. I don't have the motivation. I don't have the willpower. I'm lazy. Uh, it's not about motivation or willpower. It's not even about repetition. So um, uh, just a- as a background for for your listeners, so my uh, degrees are in neuroscience and nutrition. After I got into the nutrition field, I um, you know started realizing that my clients who got the long-term results had healthy habits. So I dug in, um, you know, leveraging my degree in neuroscience and I looked up the behavioral psychology and I was able to create a framework for quickly developing healthy habits. So it's what I use with all my clients right now. But um, 
so in general, people people think it's about motivation. It's not. Um, what really helps create uh, a long-term habit is having a positive emotion behind it. Mm. So I, I got into this a little bit earlier. Our brain is hardwired to repeat pleasurable behaviors. So if you think about this from like an evolutionary point of view, behaviors that felt good kept us alive, right? So like social connections, we needed a tribe, um, eating, right? In case there was a famine, sex, because we needed to procreate. So our brains are hardwired to repeat behaviors that make us feel good. And so if you can um, get, and I have um, things that we can talk about more at length about, you know, sort of leveraging um, different systems in your brain to, to get excited about different habits. But I think the number one thing you want to do if you're thinking about creating a new habit is one, not pick something you hate, right? I'm sure you have a ton of clients that come to you, me too, who say like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start running. Like I hate running, but I'm just, I'm January 1st, I'm going to start running and they run for a day or two and that's it. Um, and that, you know, on, on the flip side with the emotions, if you feel like you're not successful and you feel bad, your brain does not want to repeat that. So the minute you don't, you, you know, you don't get up on Wednesday morning and run. Now you're going to feel bad about yourself and you're going to have this negative association with running. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what you want to do is if, when you're creating a new habit, you want to try to start with something that at least you don't hate, right? It could be something neutral, but um, preferably something that you like. And you want to um, just give yourself very small goals because if you start by saying, I'm going to get up and run five miles tomorrow and you haven't run in 10 years, that's not going to work. You're not going to meet the goal. You're going to feel frustrated and upset. Where if you say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to run around the block tomorrow, then you come home and you feel really good about yourself and that those feelings of success, those feelings of, of pleasure help to wire in the behavior. So um, not about motivation. It's yeah, one of the most important things it's about is, is positive emotions. Um, but I'm excited to share my, my whole framework with you at some point. Yeah, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but certainly exciting and some food for thought. Uh, if this is not something you've delved into, uh, I'd love to hear more about also, I guess you would say having at one point a habit that you did have a negative association with and then, and how does it work from there? Because, you know, what, what I struggle with a lot is when I work with former athletes who mm. training was a negative, right? It's like, oh, you got to wake up at 5am if you're a swimmer and like go to the gym and lift weights. So unlike these like 21 year olds who never did anything before and they like love going to the gym and love lifting weights, the former athletes who have been playing sports since they're young kids associate like the weight room with like, you know, the coach that was yelling at them to like bench 315 pounds. So they have all these like negative kind of emotions tied to this. And I don't know, do you untie that completely? You don't have to answer the question now. You can, you could come back to, with some more information or do you just say, Hey, we're just going to go a totally different route. Instead of lifting weights, we'll find another modality to do. Yeah. And no, there's a lot of behavioral psychology behind it and um, different ticks and uh, tips and tricks that can sort of get you over the hump. Um, and where you want to be. So yeah, that, that'll be a cool conversation to have. Let my audience know now before you come on again, where they can find more about you, whether that's looking at uh, your program and what you have to offer if someone wanted to work with you, or whether that's, let's say a personal trainer or somebody who delves into the nutrition realm who might have just a question to ask you. For sure. So um, my website is Happy Healthy Nutritionist. Um, you can find all sorts of information about my services there. And then my Instagram is also Happy Healthy Nutritionists. And all the links are in my bio for um, the different things that I offer. My guest today has been Rebecca Washuda. Thanks for joining the Truly Good Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. 
please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform. And feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.